Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Tanzina Vega, host of The Takeaway, and you're listening to Politics Brief from WNYC, bringing you the very best coverage of the 2018 elections. You'll hear segments from my show, as well as The Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and The New Yorker Radio Hour. Plus the work of the award-winning WNYC Newsroom, which is following all the local New York and New Jersey races. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. All right, how many of you have picked your way all the way through that 13,000-word article in the New York Times today uh, about how Trump really got his money? We knew Trump wasn't self-made, but I don't think we had a clear picture of the sheer size of the pot of money that Trump inherited and received over and over again in dribs and drabs, if you can consider seven million, uh, seven-figure <laughs> numbers, dribs and drabs. Should we just spend a moment on the magnitude of wealth he received from his family? By age three, Trump was getting $200,000 annually from his father's empire, according to this article. By age eight, he was a millionaire. By age 17, his father had given him part ownership of a 52-unit apartment building. In his 40s and 50s, he was receiving more than $5 million a year from his dad. In the 1970s, uh, Fred Trump gifted a spigot of loans when Trump's businesses were having so many problems. He lent uh, Donald at least $60.7 million, according to the article. Fred Trump spent $15.5 million to buy a 7.5% stake in Trump Palace. And the list goes on and on and on. And all the Times documented 295 streams of revenue from Fred to Donald, total of about $400 million in today's dollars. And we're going to dive a little deeper into what this means with two of our own who are on a similar beat themselves, Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz from our podcast that looks at Trump Organization Finance's Trump Inc. Hi, Ilya. Hi, Andrea. Good morning. So the big headline that keeps getting repeated in the press is now we know that Trump was not self-made as he claims that he got a lot more than a $1 million loan from his father uh, to start out as a young businessman. Andrea, is that the biggest reveal? Well, it may be. It's not so much for me because we've spent so much time looking at Trump's business. So I think that it has been known that when Trump says, oh, I just got this small $1 million loan and the other permutations of that from like his father. Like a million dollars is small, by the right. way, but that's another story. I mean, there's a lot of things that we've reported on where we know ways that his father, Fred Trump, helped him directly and indirectly. The the first Donald Trump's first project that he wanted to build in Manhattan, renovating what is now the Grand Hyatt uh, Hotel at, at Grand Central Terminal, was something that he couldn't get done without Fred's guarantees. Ilya reported on a story where one of his casinos was uh, about to fail, and an emissary of Fred Trump walked into the casino, bought $3 million in chips, and left, which is a sort of a $3 million loan in a way, if you're not going to get the money back into the casino. So we've been aware of these mechanisms. I think what the huge congratulations to Ross Butner, Suzanne Craig, and David Barstow at the Times by just really digging into all the documents and bringing this complete picture 
of all of the ways that the money was transferred from father to son and a much clearer sense not only of the methods, but the overall magnitude. And listeners, uh, we can take a few phone calls on this if you have been reading the article or if you have questions about it that maybe are Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz can help you understand the answers to, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. And Ilya, so much of the story was about the many ways that the Trump family dodged taxes as they transferred money from generation to generation, or even just when they were making the money, and employed what seem to be described as, you know, dishonest financial schemes with respect to taxes. Um, some may have been illegal, some may have been legal, but are very aggressively employed. Did they cross the line and break the law? Uh, well, there's a lot of instances where they may have crossed the line or may have broken the law. And we know that the New York City Department of Finance is looking into that and state authorities are looking into it now, too. Obviously, there's some political aspect to this, too, right. a political benefit in this overwhelmingly Democratic state to be seen to be investigating this uh, unpopular, at least very unpopular here, president. Uh, but there were a few things here that kind of alarmed me, I'll say. There was the practice of green mailing. This is a new term to me. And this was in the 80s when uh, Fred Trump would use part of his fortune to take a position in a stock like Time magazine. Uh, some few days later, Donald would talk it up to some of the many reporters he was talking to. And he'd say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, acquiring this airline or this magazine. I'm, I'm taking a big position in them. Huh. In fact, it would often be his dad taking that big position. Uh, this value of the stock would, of course, immediately soar. And uh, and then Fred Trump could cash out a few weeks later and make a very handy profit. It's the kind of thing you can only do if you have one not very famous rich person who is closely related to a very famous person who talks to the press all the time. It's so unbelievably cynical, uh, and yet it immediately rings true from everything else that we know about the man. Andrea, what else? So one of the things that was really... Um quite fascinating to me is there's this company called All County, which basically was a, a sort of nothing company. It didn't really do anything. It was a pass-through. So prior to setting up All County, what Fred Trump had done when he needed mm -hmm. washing machines and air conditioners and boilers for his various uh, building projects, he would purchase them from wholesalers. What happened with All County was that he set up All County as the buyer all county would buy from wholesalers, there would be a markup, a substantial markup from that would go from himself to from himself. Him, from basically what it did is it transferred wealth from himself to his children ah. by marking up the prices, but it's all within the Trump project. I mean, he's, he's saying, okay, I'm going to buy an air conditioner for $100 and then I'm going to sell it to myself for $100. And in the middle, the children, Donald Trump included, are taking the money. Now, What's fascinating about this is that Fred Trump was investigated by the Federal Housing Administration and by the New York State Commission on Investigation for doing something very similar. In the New York State case, there was testimony that he had taken items, bought them, leased them back to himself, and then billed the taxpayers. And he really got wrapped for that. So what was interesting to me was to see the, the common themes of these business practices going on to decades. And one of them, 
as we reported on Trump Inc., is, is still happening today, which is this appraisement situation. So Donald Trump will say, my properties are worth so much, more than ever, billions of dollars, they're the best properties, we, we've all heard it. And then he'll go to the local county tax officials, like he has just recently done in Westchester with the golf course, and say, no, 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 my property's not worth anything. You shouldn't be, anything is a paraphrase, my property's worth very little. You should not be taxing me what you're taxing me. Now, tax challenges are not that uncommon, but when you look at it in terms of this broad business model, we see just how aggressively the Trump family has done it to the extent of saying that their properties were worth 40 million. When the New York Times went and investigated, they found that they were worth 400 million. And all of that means taxes not paid to the U.S. Treasury, to all of us. Part of the strength I just want to add of this investigation is how just absurdly thorough it is. I mean, they're going back 60 years and finding land records, finding appraisers, finding people who understood the market at that time so that they can put some context on it. They had 100,000 pages of documents. So I just want to say, I mean, my hat's off to these reporters. This is an incredible, dazzling work of explanatory journalism. Everybody should take the time to read it. If not today, then this weekend. Tessa in Kew Gardens. You're on WNYC with Andrea and Ilya from Trump, Inc. Hi, Tessa. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, i like to know how the president has been able to get away with this for years when he claims that he has been audited on several occasions and the reporters it seems to me have been able to do a better job than the IRS or federal government well certainly at making information public Ilya and I guess with these new investigations being launched by the city and state of New York um, Trump has even more reason to say, well, I'm under investigation, so I need to keep it confidential. I mean, <laughs> the IRS w- has for decades not been as robust as it probably should be if you want a well-funded government. It's one of the few parts of the government that actually pays for itself. You hire an additional inspector or an agent, and they bring in probably a lot more money in a year than their annual salary is. Actually, one of our Trump, Inc. Uh, collaborators, Jesse Isinger uh, from ProPublica, had a story in the New York Times yesterday about the, how the number of inspectors has gone down, I think, 40 percent uh, just in the last decade or so. Uh, but even in the previous period, I think there's a good case to be made that uh, that our tax inspection mm-hmm. s- scheme was really not uh, our tax inspection program was really not up to the different kinds of schemes that Fred Trump and his family were evidently hatching over many, many decades. And a lot of it came down to just as simple as tell one person one thing, as Andrea said, and tell the other person the other thing. And if they call you out, you pay a little penalty, no big deal. Uh, One thing that was very striking to me reading this story is how the Trump children again and again have to sign affidavits, affirmations that everything on this tax return is correct, everything on this property transfer is correct. Donald Trump's older sister, Marianne Trump Barry, is a federal judge, and she signed those documents quite possibly with knowledge that they were not correct. Mm. Uh, She's a a judge on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, so she's a very high-level federal judge. I also just wanted to respond to the caller that I think that there's another thing here, which is not just the IRS, which is the uh, active way the Trump family keeps things secret. And this is 
the subject of our episode of Trump Inc., today's episode about all of the ways that they sew up, button up information, keep things private, keep things secret, keep people from talking. It is a business model. And when that's your business model, it is really hard to find these things out. Some of the most talented investigative journalists ever have thrown themselves at this and haven't been able to ferret all of it out. And I think that that is the reason why, because so much effort goes into not allowing us to find out. We're talking to Andrew Bernstein and Ilya Meritz from our Trump Inc. podcast. Their latest episode is called The Business of Silence. And we're talking about this 13,000 word New York Times article called Trump Engaged in Suspect Tax Schemes as He Reaped Riches from His Father. This investigative and explanatory um, masterpiece, many people are calling it, and we'll continue in a minute. You're listening to the Politics Brief podcast. We'll be right back after a quick break. The archives at Carnegie Hall hold treasures from our cultural history. In the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk, we use these items as touchstones to explore how the past shaped the world we live in today. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and I'll be joined by historians, performers, cultural critics, and others to look back at the iconic venue's legendary and sometimes quirky history. If This Hall Could Talk, from Carnegie Hall and distributed by WQXR. Listen wherever you get podcasts. WNYC with Andrea and Ilya from Trump, Inc., and Diane in Queens. You're on WNYC. Hi, Diane. Hi. You know, it seems like Trump is like Teflon Don, and, you know, I travel out west often, and the news is different. I want to ask the people at Trump, Trump, Inc., if they can do a story about what they're seeing on conservative media as opposed to uh, always preaching to the choir on stations like WMIC. So I want to hear the contrast. I want to hear how other people, what they're getting in their media outlets, since there seems to be mm-hmm. such a polar, it's so polar opposite. Diane, thank you very much. Um, so, Andrea, to her question, I mean, I, I don't know from my reading of the article so far, and I haven't gotten through all of it, um, whether there's going to be any political impact at all. It's really hard to know. And obviously, two years ago, almost to the day, is when the Access Hollywood tape came out. So uh, it's really hard to know how these things are going to influence any elections. I will say from you know the previous work that I did on the on the 2016 campaign that people who supported Trump I mean they understood that he didn't pay a lot of taxes and they thought that was a good thing that you shouldn't pay a lot of taxes and that paying taxes is a bad thing and that he has followed the rules so I think the question is is does there become a tipping point where people feel like he took advantage of some rules that I couldn't. But so far, that has not happened. People really admire the way that he has worked the system. And the list of things in here that are either going to make people shake their heads and say, what a con artist, or go, ha, boy, that guy's really getting over on the government. Uh, Bogus loans from father to son, never to be paid back to Fred by Donald. Another one, Ilya, I wonder if you can even explain this. 
buying $3 million of casino chips without placing a bet. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's sort of a, kind of an invisible bailout. Donald was in trouble in the early 90s in his Atlantic City casinos. And uh, I believe a deadline was looming with one of the creditors. And Fred Trump instructed one of his people to go down to Atlantic City, buy, I think it was $3.5 million worth of chips, and just... Uh, do nothing with them. And that just got that money, uh, that cash infusion helped save Donald. Interestingly, uh, to bring this a a little bit closer to the present, one of the really, uh, to me, fascinating uh, episodes recounted here, uh, the Trump kids, or I should say Donald Trump and his siblings would meet, I think, once a year, sort of look over their fortunes. In 2004, Donald Trump is in trouble again at his Atlantic City casinos. And unexpectedly, he tells his sisters and his brother, you know what, let's sell the remains of what our dad bequeathed us. All these apartment complexes in Brooklyn and Queens, let's just sell it all right now. The market's really hot. And uh, there's been, he hasn't suggested this this, this to them ever before, but he insists that they do it and they go along with it. And it turns out that he was in trouble again in Atlantic City. And it, if you look at, at Donald's individual financial situation, it really looks like he was making a decision for his own benefit rather than in the interests of his siblings. And part of the story is about Donald trying to change his father's will shortly before he died to get more control of Fred Trump's money. You know, will, will anybody out there care about that? Uh, maybe people have made the decisions that they made about his character and discounted it to whatever degree they discounted. But I guess time will tell. Tomorrow, by the way, we will have one of the three New York Times reporters who did this story, David Barstow, as our first guest at 10 o'clock. They were so swamped today they couldn't do the show today. But Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz, co-host of our Trump Inc. podcast, are two of the most informed readers of this article (laughs) explaining it to you. Andrea, 15 seconds to say what's on the new edition of Trump Inc. It's called uh, The Business of Silence, and it's how in his personal and business life, Trump has kept people quiet and how that could affect our democracy. And we have Ronan Farrow. Really? Download it now. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, we, got him. we got him in a break in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.